My name is Jamie Atkinson, founder of podcastclosing.com, and this show is built for six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts who are looking to grow and scale their customer acquisition using that show. If you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast and you want to get featured on this show to talk about your own podcast journey, go to top100interview.com. Now over to your glamorous host, Brittany Chaterbock, and don't forget to subscribe for daily interview content. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. It's Bashi here. Today we have a super exciting guest, Jerry Feta. He's the founder of Wealth Dynamics, a company that helps its clients with financial knowledge, saving money, and purchasing assets. He's also the host of the Wealth Dynamics podcast. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Basha. Thanks for having me on today. It's a pleasure to have you. We're going to have some great conversation. We'll cover what's working, your podcast, your challenges, and your goals. And I'm sure within that conversation alone, we'll have some great takeaways. Before we jump in, do you mind telling us a bit about your story and where you are today? Yeah, for sure. So I own a company called Wealth Dynamics, uh, hence the name the Wealth Dynamics podcast, right? Um, and what we do is we work with families, individuals, and entrepreneurs on um, helping them achieve greater financial literacy, um, build financial solvency, and achieve greater financial freedom. And so for me, the podcast has really been an outlet to um, you know reach more people, and and it helps me with my mission of financial literacy. Um, you know, we're not taught about money in school. A lot of the things that we do get taught about money is um, more marketing dressed up as education. And so people don't always truly understand what, what works with finances, what they have, why they have it, how to use it, all those types of things. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I'm at today with the company. Uh, we've got uh, clients all over the U.S. Uh, we've just recently expanded into Canada and Puerto Rico. Um, and for me, it's been a journey. I started in, in business as an 18-year-old. Um, you know, I grew up poor, so I didn't really have uh, a lot of means to get started or necessarily the best role models and examples to follow after. So it was a lot of, um, you know, learning by trial and error, studying personal development, um, you know, skinning my knees up in the process and just figuring out what works. So how did you get started in this space specifically? So in the financial world, um, I got started at 18. So I was actually a personal trainer and a bodybuilder. So in high school, I was into um, competitive bodybuilding. And so I thought I was going to graduate and then go start my own gym and win Mr. Olympia. And, you know, that would be the track I took. Um, and so basically, you know, when I finished school, um, I didn't do college or anything. I, I walked off stage with my diploma. I became a personal trainer and I started training clients. And, um, you know, is at a, at a traditional kind of a health club gym. I hit the glass ceiling within like six months. Um, I got promoted up to head personal trainer you know, it was really the highest place I could get to unless someone quit, died, retired, or got fired. Um, and I never really had attention on finances. Like for me, it was an area of kind of like loss and bad experiences. So I didn't really have this, like this desire to go learn finances and help people with finances, but someone actually, like they showed me some basic things. They're like, Hey, this is what you do if you've got debt, or here's how you do a budget, or here's some basics on saving or investing. Um, and for me, that was like gold. I was able to, um, really connect the dots on finances and fitness. There was a lot of correlations there, you know, personal responsibility and education and, you know, um, managing your activity levels, those kind of things. And I also realized too, that if my parents had known those things that I, I just learned now in like 30 minutes of, of time with this guy, uh, my life would have been very different growing up. So it kind of was just the desire to help. I was, I was looking at, okay, well, I don't want to just stay at the gym forever. Um, and so that led me to then, okay, great. Well, this, this is something I do have interest in. I just didn't know there was solutions for the average person. Um, and then I wanted to help others, you know, obviously it's like, if you, 
if you've got the cure for cancer, whether you're, you know, like a kid wanting to be a doctor when you grow up or not, if you get the cure, you're going to want to share it with people. You know, if it's help, it's just the desire to, to be able to get the same thing in other people's hands that they can win with it too. Absolutely. I love that because a lot of people find solutions and they gatekeep it. I love that you're out here and you're sharing information about this and you're spreading the word and trying to help people. I, I love that you're doing that. So I know this, you talk about, and I was, you know, I was going through your social media. I was going through your site. You talk a lot about being your own bank. Can you talk a little bit about, more about that? What does that look like and how can people do it themselves? Yeah, Basha. So this is super relevant right now, especially for those that if you've been paying attention, we've had like half a dozen major bank failures in the last two months, um, which is a lot like, and so this kind of goes back to like, just, just to like backtrack a little bit on what happens when you put money in a bank in the first place. A lot of people don't even know that. So like when I was probably 16 years old, I opened up my first uh, account with the credit union. My dad brought me in. We opened it up. I would put some money in from my allowances and from working with him and stuff. And I guess as a 16 year old, like I literally imagined and thought that they were going to like put my money in a nice little box with like a bow on top and put it in the safe. And it was going to be there for me waiting when I came back. Um, and so later on, I learned that that banks don't actually do that. So banks and credit unions, when we deposit money into them, they actually take our deposits, they borrow against them. Um, and that's why they're paying us interest. So when we deposit money to a financial institution like a bank, we're actually extending them an unsecured loan. Um, unsecured means it's not backed by anything. There's not like there's a house there that we can take away if they don't pay us back. It's just, we, they've got our money. That's why they're paying the interest is they're borrowing it from us. Um, and the federal law allows them to take 98 to 100% of our deposits and actually loan those out to other people and invest them. So the money's not actually there and they're making, you know, on average, maybe on a mortgage 4% or on a car loan, 7% or on a credit card, 19%. Um, you know, they can do aggressive stock market and foreign currency trading and make, you know, high double digits and triple digits. So they're making that, but the national savings account average is like 0 0.40. So um, on average, when we deposit money in a bank, they're actually making between 400 and 1300% on the money that we've deposited with them um, by putting our dollars at risk and paying us next to nothing, um, if not anything, right? And, and what's happening with a lot of these, if you've seen like Silicon Valley Bank and some of these recent bank failures, they're doing that whole system. Then they're losing the money on the investments and the depositors come to withdraw the money and it's not there anymore because it got lost. And, and then that creates what's called a bank run. People want to start pulling their money out because they don't want to be the last one in the bank before things fall and tumble down. Um, and so what we teach is we basically teach to change one thing. So becoming your own bank, rather than putting your money in a bank account, there is a very specifically designed and structured type of life insurance you can use. And it's actually the same kind the banks use. They're the number one owner and, and purchaser of this kind of life insurance. So uh, it's called the infinite banking concept. The specific kind of life insurance is called high early cash value dividend paying whole life insurance. And so anyone can actually set this up. And if you deposit money into it, um, very much like a savings account, it's keeping your money safe. Um, it's giving you actually a lot more protections than most bank accounts will, but it's also giving you more growth on your deposit. So on average, you'll make maybe three to 5% uh, and that is tax free, but you get to also then be the bank. So you can borrow against your deposit the money still grows while you borrow against it. And then you can use that to pay off debt or invest or maybe make large purchases. And you basically do that with your own banking system instead 
Um, and so all the stuff the bank's going to do with your money when you give it to them, you're able to do for yourself. Uh, and so it kind of just cuts them out as the middleman. And, and that's that's one of the basic concepts with finances. There is a lot of middlemen, um, you know, people that are just kind of collecting money in the middle. And you can bypass a lot of those guys and do it yourself and, and keep the money that they're making rather than letting them take it all. Very interesting. Very interesting. That's really cool. Why don't more people know about it? So that's the main question I get. And, and it's um it's something that's not advertised widely. So when you put money in this kind of life insurance, the first thing that happens is obviously you're your own bank, which means you're not going to give money to the other banks. So even though they're the number one owner and user of it, so the top 10 banks in the United States collectively have about $100 billion in this kind of life insurance. Um, there's over 3,000 banks US-wide that use it. But think about if I put money in this, I'm not going to give it to them. And so they don't have any incentive for me to know about this kind of system. The other thing that happens is when I put money into it, I never pay taxes on those dollars ever again, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if you think about the scale of this, if, if let's say every single person in the United States started using this, um, the banking system would probably go out of business. The IRS wouldn't collect any tax revenue. Uh, people wouldn't really invest in Wall Street because they'd be using this instead. So a lot of the financial marketing arms out there that educate us on how money works are, you know, banks, Wall Street type firms, uh, and this directly takes away their their revenue stream. So, um, but it's funny when you study it, Basha. So um, McDonald's, uh, uh, Ray Kroc actually started the the Ronald McDonald's campaign and kept McDonald's in business with this kind of life insurance policy until they made it big. Uh, Walt Disney founded Disneyland using this kind of a life insurance policy. Uh, Foster Farms, you know, uh, Stanford University, Teddy Roosevelt had this, the Rockefeller family is very big on this. Joe Biden has six of them. Um, so if you start looking, it's it's more about who knows about it versus how many people know about it. Um, you know, the, the high net worth individuals, the corporations, the banks, it is a smaller percentage of the population, but this is a very well-kept secret, but it's been around for 200 plus years. Very interesting. So what are some of the biggest challenges that come with having a business that's centered around this? So, you know, it's very similar to like being in the fitness space, actually. Um, everyone should be doing this just like everyone should be going to the gym. Everyone should be eating. Right. Right. But but it comes down to like, does the individual actually want to and do they have the discipline and, and the reach to actually, you know, keep keep their um, schedule in and maintain their finances and all the things that go with you know, being financially responsible and winning with money. So it's different, um, you know, on from a marketing standpoint, especially because you really have to find people that are searching for, you know, a better solution. Um, and that's a layer on top of people who just want to be financially responsible in the first place. Um, you know, 80% of Americans are paycheck to paycheck. So there's not a huge amount of the population that's like, yep, I definitely want to take control of my finances and build wealth. A lot of people are more comfortable kind of living in, you know, their comfort zone and, and sweeping this stuff under the rug and not having to think about it or deal with it. So it's a very specific audience you've got to reach. And then it's also, you know, giving uh, information in a way that, you know, because it, it's like what I just told you now is like almost like a third eyeball. Like we, we just said, don't put money in the bank. Don't give money to Wall Street. Be your own bank. Use life insurance. So if you hit someone with too much of this at once, it can be um, basically just, you know, too much of an overload of like new information. Um, and so that's another challenge is just making sure that you you give people the right information at the right time and you give them a solution rather than a new problem, um, just because people have enough problems already with their finances. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
What are some of the biggest mistakes that you made when you first started? That when you look back, you're like, oh my God, like why did I do that? Yeah. Um, let's see here. So I would say trying to do it by myself. Um, you know, and and as an entrepreneur, usually we get started as entrepreneurs because we didn't like having a job, right? Like it's that independent mindset. I'm the worst employee in the world. I'm the best worker in the world. Like when I'm working on something that I can that I care about and I'm I'm you know the leader and I'm driving it. But you give me a boss and I'm like, nah, I don't want to listen. I don't want to show up on time. I don't want to do any of those <laughs> things. So when I first started, Basha, it was like I was trying to build a business, but I hated the idea of a job. And so because of that, I didn't hire people, right? Like I can't, you, we hear this a lot where, you know, job stands for just over broke and, and we have this entrepreneur community or maybe in the network marketing space where we kind of bash on jobs. You can't build a business without employees, um, and so you can't really trash talk jobs. And then that's the thing you need to fill in order to grow the company. Um, and so that was definitely a big mistake I made was going about it alone. Um, and I think, you know, initially starting out, you know, if somebody is great at sales, they need to find someone else to partner with that's great at maybe operating a business, um, doing more of the systems, vice versa. If I'm the internal guy and I'm great at, you know, the, the technical skill and the, and the operations and systems, and I'm not a salesperson or a marketer, I need to find someone that is. Um, so that was a big mistake I made. And then the other thing too was um, kind of being too afraid to step out early, like with growing my business. I kept a part-time job for a long time. I was trying to supplement my income. I was afraid to pull that plug and not have a paycheck. And I drug that on for too long. Um, and you know, granted, it's good to have income. I, I can see all the reasons why I was delaying that. When I finally did pull the plug, it created enough demand and necessity in my life where I was like, oh, crap, I need to go produce and grow my business. I don't have a paycheck now. Um, that that was the very thing that made me grow faster. And so I think if I would have jumped off that cliff sooner, you know, the business probably would have taken off faster. Um, so those are probably my top two. And I would say the third one is, you know, Kind of, kind of to go back to, you know, doing it alone. You don't want to do it alone, but you also want to make sure the people you do it with are, are aligned with you. Um, and so that's something that I, I early on had to constantly keep on, you know, relearning and, and teaching myself was I would bring someone in and I didn't check are our goals on the same track? Are we aligned? Are we going in the same direction? Like, what does this relationship look like maybe in five or 10 years? Um, and so because of that, I would have a lot of incidents of I would start, I'd bring in a team, you know, I would be pushing and we'd be growing. And then at some point, you know, they would go do their own thing or there would be disagreement or that type of uh, environment. And so that was a lot of like stalling out, having to go replace someone, find a new person. And those are all normal growing pains. But I think if you really do a good job and you're intentional up front, then you can avoid some of that and not have that, that hassle on the back end of having to continue to fill new seats. Absolutely. Yeah. So where are you trying to, let's, let's say it's December, 2023, where do you see the business going? Where would you like it to be? So we're right now working on building our agent force. Um, so uh, we just started expanding in Canada and Puerto Rico um, by December, 2023. I'd like to have several dozen agents that are, um, you know, licensed with us. They're certified. Uh, they're able to work and kind of build their own company within wealth dynamics and so kind of my vision with this is to build a, a platform company for those who have a passion for financial education. Um, you know, they want to help others improve their finances. They want to be able to build a business, but do it within a company that's already got systems. Um, you know, and that that's like the struggle, I think, for a lot of entrepreneurs is it's a lot. You know, when you get started, you're like, yeah, freedom. And then you're like the first two years, you've made no money. You're working 90 hours a week, that type of thing. 
Um, and a lot of that comes from just having to rebuild the wheel. And, you know, so many businesses have gone through that where they've put in, you know, standard operating procedures and, and, you know, key performance indicators, and they've got hiring protocols and all this stuff is already there. So we're really scaling that out. And by the end of this year, I would like to have several entrepreneurs, um, you know, across the United States and Canada, I'd like to have several more in Puerto Rico that are basically integrated into Wealth Dynamics and, and helping clients and spreading, you know, financial education and solutions to people that need it. Mm, yeah. I totally blanked on what my question was going to be, but we'll just go with this. What keeps you motivated? Um, I mean, for me, it really is um, probably two things. The first one is I like to see what I'm capable of. Um, it's almost the game, right? And so um, what's the next level of what I'm able to achieve look like? Um, and that's, that's you know, uh, uh, like one half of it. I'd say the other half of it is, is you know, helping other people. There's you know, 8 billion people on this planet. So I want to help as many of them as I can. Um, right now, my my geographical limitations, just because of the products I offer, they're limited to the United States, you know, Canada, kind of that North America, and then Puerto Rico. But, you know, there's a lot of people just in that population. And, and so I've got staff in Europe, I've got, um, you know, different connections there. And so I do want to be able to expand into that side of the world as well. Um, and so until I'm able to reach my potential personally and reach as many people as I possibly can, um, there's always going to be that next level of motivation and wanting to get better. Absolutely. I love what you're doing. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about the podcast? Why did you start it? What kinds of things do you talk about on there? Yeah. So the Wealth Dynamics podcast, we started that. Um, so I had been doing a lot of guest appearances on podcast shows. Um, and I've been doing that, you know, for several years back and I've always had fun with it. Um, and so it was kind of like, you know, as a guest, it's, it is easier because I don't have to do show notes. And on your end, there's a lot more of like putting together a good show and a good podcast. I guess you can just show up and do the interview and there's not a lot of work. And so um, that was always the barrier for me. I was, I was like, I don't know if I have the time or bandwidth to really dive into doing my own podcast. So finally this year we did, and I met with a, a mentor of mine. He's like, Hey, you need to be, you know, really pushing, you know, your podcast out there. You're doing live streams. You're doing video content, you're doing social media, TikTok, Instagram, you're even writing articles and books, like just add the podcast. Um, and so that's been for us uh, and my group, just a way to reach more people. Um, when I was getting started in my business, I was a pizza driver in the, and that was the part-time job. I was a pizza driver in the evenings. And so I listened to podcasts almost every single night. Um, and that's where I learned a lot of what I learned about business and finance. And so I probably did 40 hours a week of listening to podcasts and, and those types of things over the period of maybe two years. And I, I bet if I were to sum up the education, it's probably a college degree's worth of, you know, getting information about business and finances. So it was a big part of my come up and in business. Um, and so for me, you know, it really is a way to reciprocate back to people and, um, you know, put information out there that's easy for them to consume. It's easy for people to access when they're on the go or commuting or working out or whatever. Um, and, and it really helps us reach, you know, the financial literacy, literacy thing, like we're not taught this stuff in school and we could have been. Um, and so for me, like before anything else, it comes down to like, I need to get the information that I have in front of as many people as possible. Cause for my story specifically, if I didn't have that individual who was willing to sit down with me for free and just say, Hey, you matter to me. I want you to know how money works and give me some of these basic truths. I would have never learned this stuff. I would have continued to be a poor kid up in Alaska, um, you know, without really a real financial future. So I, I, free, I feel like for me, that's part of my obligation is to pay that forward. Um, information is free and, and 
you know, it's so helpful where it's like, why wouldn't I have that out there? Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the challenges that you faced when it comes to growing your podcast? So I would say definitely, um, you know, content, right? Um, there's a lot of information out there. And so for me, it's really come down to understanding like who my audience is, who am I communicating to? And when I first started, it was just like, I am communicating. So I would just say what, what whatever was on my mind, right? I wasn't really being intentional with I, what ears is this going to go into and who is that person and what's going on in their life and what do they need to hear? Um, and so that was kind of more of like a shotgun approach, if you will. It's just putting out content, which is better than nothing, right? Like that's a good baby step. Um, and then the challenge has really become, you know, making it relevant, like really thinking about who am I going to communicate with? What do they need to hear? Um, how do I make it valuable? And I think that the point of, of especially if you're a business owner that does offer like a paid service, and also you have a podcast, one of the bridges to gap is being okay, giving away your best stuff. Like, and I learned this as a personal trainer. And, and this is where I got this mindset from is I can give someone the greatest workout plan in the world. The reality of them doing it all with no help is very slim, but they're going to be appreciative of the information. And actually the more I give to them, the more I become a trusted source and they're going to want to reach back when they're ready for help. Um, and so when I finally was able to connect that dot, I came overcame that challenge of like, I want to be sharing content, but I don't want to give away my secrets. And now it's more like I want to give away all of the secrets and just build up that goodwill and help as many people as I can. And a percentage of that audience is going to get it and want help. Um, and, and that's pretty cool to have. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it builds your credibility, builds your authority when people listen to you and they see that you're giving away the best stuff. They trust you just that much more. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jerry, thank you so much for coming on. If anybody's looking to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to find you? So you can follow me on social media. Um, we're probably, I mean, we're on all the platforms. We're probably the most active on TikTok and on Instagram. So if you look me up at Jerry Feta, just J-E-R-R-Y-F-E-T-T-A, um, you know, you can follow me there. We have a ton of free content. I do my best to answer all my DMs and stuff. So if you want to get uh, a question answered or reach out, definitely do that. Um, and then we talked a little bit about the bank failure thing. So um, we also have a free ebook we can let your audience um, download and have access to on how to protect yourself from bank failures. So if you go to jerryfeta.com forward slash bank fail, there is a free ebook there. There's also a free course at the end of the book. And that gives a lot of information on how banking works, what you should know as someone if you're saving money in an institution like a bank, and then a little bit more on the concept we talked about today of becoming your own bank. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you for coming on. Awesome. Thanks, Basha. Group, if you're listening and enjoyed, please like and subscribe. If you're a six-figure entrepreneur and would like to come on the show, please visit top100interview.com. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you really enjoyed that episode. As always, if you want to listen to more daily interview content, make sure you subscribe. And here's three ways I can help you in your business for free. One, check out my video on how we're building a pipeline that produces 30 plus prime sales calls every single week using podcast setters and a basic interview funnel. And this is actually how I was able to quit social media forever. You can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash setters. Two, if you're a six or a seven figure entrepreneur with a podcast, we actually want to interview you on one of our top 100 shows. Head to top100interview.com. And then three, download our podcast closing formula. It shows you how to create a podcast sales team that books out 
out your sales calendar each week using the podcast closing client attraction method. And you can go to podcastrebels.com forward slash podcast formula. Now at podcastclosing.com, we help six and seven figure entrepreneurs with podcasts create a system for predictable client acquisition without relying on paid advertising or social media by building out podcast sales teams. Now, if you want help turning your podcast into a high ticket client acquisition machine, then book a call with our team to see how we can help. Go to podcastrebels.com forward slash chat. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next interview.